It's the Grim Tidings Podcast. I'm Rob Matheny. And I'm Philip Overby. And we're celebrating horror all month long here on the show. We call it October, bringing you awesome guests all month long. Today's guest definitely brings the Halloween spirit, hailing from the rugged outskirts of Boston, Massachusetts. He's the author of 15 books, including the Big Boobenstein series, the Byron the Barbarian series, the Splatterhouse Rules, the Halloween Orgy Massacre, the Queen of Hell, the Halloween Girl, and Frankenfairy, just to name a few. His titles combine humor, satire, horror, fantasy, and more. Currently, he's the editor for New Kink Books, but moonlighting as a butcher on the mean streets of Dover, New Hampshire, an avid collector of glow-in-the-dark toys, husband, and father to Chewy, Scully, Velma, and Falcor. The Grim Tidings podcast gives a warm October welcome to cult fiction author Jeff O'Brien. Jeff, thank you for joining us, sir. My pleasure. Hello, gentlemen. Fabulous. Thank you so much for gracing us with your presence on the show today. We know you had to descend from your literary heights there in Dover, New Hampshire. So thank you for acquiescing and joining us on the program today. It's uh, great to have you on the show, and I'm sure today's episode will hit new inappropriate lows that we have not hit before. So it's uh, great to have you on, Jeff. I can only hope it does. <laughs> do not disappoint. What I was going to do to uh, begin was I was just going to read a couple of the uh, the blurbs, the, the praise that uh, some of your readers have showered upon your books. Um, Big Boobenstein series is one that you're pretty famous for, but I was going to load this up and just read a couple of the uh, words of praise that uh, some of your contemporaries have for you. Be my guest. I love hearing them. Jeff O'Brien is everybody's type. The man is like Fabio meets Jesus meets Howard Hughes post-Spruce Goose pre-Jars of Old Urine. That's Danger Slater, author of Love Me and Dangerama. Also, Jeff O'Brien is the lone ranger of indie horror comedy, except his horse is a clown and Tonto is a priest. That's by Don Noble. And uh, <laughs> Jeff's writing sort of reminds me of J.K. Rowling, but not really. That's Esto O'Brien, had to say that. And uh, Kevin L. Donahue said, not bad at all. So lofty words for, for your literary works, Jeff. You must be proud. Uh, very much so, especially my grandmother's quote. <laughs> she, she's the one who said uh, it uh, reminds her of J.K. Rowling, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> she must be a big fan. Uh, she certainly was. Esther O'Brien, okay. At least she, she pretended to be. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's what all grandmas do. Yeah, pretty much. They're good for that. They love everything you do. Yeah. Just whatever. So we can start off talking about uh, your flagship title, Big Boobenstein. Automatically, I think for for listeners, images will probably flash before their minds of what exactly a Big Boobenstein is. So, Jeff, if you could tell us about that title and if somebody were to pick that up. It's on Kindle Unlimited for folks to read for free. In fact, most of your titles are available. Yeah, pretty for much free. they all are, yeah. On Kindle Unlimited, so folks can head over to Amazon. It's Jeff O'Brien, and that's uh, O'Brien I E N. If folks Correct. Want to check you out, but what's Big Boobenstein about? What can people expect when they read this title? Well, I, it's one of those books where the title pretty much, <laughs> pretty much tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> uh, there is a a serious side to it, which I tend to do with a lot of my books. I kind of take one serious concept and I tell a story around it, but. You know, under the guise of a filthy, inappropriate horror comedy. I mean, at the core of the book, it's about sort of like dealing with like a body dysmorphic disorder and, uh, you know, just all kinds of body image issues that more people go through than are willing to admit. But that's not my style to just write a serious, you know, Hallmark Channel kind of book about that. And that's what became Big Boobenstein. 
the title itself, it's kind of a funny little story how I came up with that. About 14 or 15 years ago, uh, some friends of mine were in this kind of like novelty joke band called Foam and Mesh where they dressed up as like rednecks and they sang filthy songs. And they had this one song that's called Big Boobin's Time, uh, which was about a teenage kid getting caught with uh, his stash of porn mags and telling his parents that he only reads them for the articles. Uh, but when I heard the song, I heard I heard it wrong, and I thought instead of Big Boobin's Time, I was hearing Big Boobenstein. So when I said that to them, I'm like, oh, that, that song Big Boobenstein is hilarious. And they're like, no, you fucking idiot. It's Big <laughs> time. Where did you get Big Boobenstein from? So anyways, I sort of never lived that down. And... Uh, I was teased about that for, like I said, 14 or 15 years <laughs> until uh, I had uh, I had already written the Halloween Orgy Massacre and uh, Splatterhouse Rules, and a friend of mine was like, "Hey, remember that time you said Big Boobenstein? That should that should be a title of your next book." And so I was thinking about uh, the concept of writing a book around uh, body dysmorphia, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's fucking perfect. That's it." And uh, I seriously, I, I had a week off of work. I sat down and I wrote that book in a week, like nonstop, writing all day, writing all night, taking naps here and there. And then uh, Big Boobenstein was born. And the rest and, is history. I mean, you got multiple titles with that in that yeah, series I, now. Was, uh, uh, Groom of Big Boobenstein came next. And then Daughters of Big Boobenstein. For Kindle only, I have the, uh, it's a short story, the Big Boobenstein Family Christmas. <laughs> Uh, which is going to be part of the fourth installment of the saga, House of Big Boobenstein, uh, which is going to be the first Big Boobenstein collection, where it's I kind of am telling it as if it were a sitcom in book form. It's going to be a long time until that's done, but there will be a fourth installment of the Big Boobenstein saga. More Boobenstein to come. Yep. Are you a fan of sitcoms growing up? Like uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Full House fan, oh, yeah. and people oh, make yeah. fun of me about it. That's okay. I watched every episode of Fuller House. <laughs> oh, sweet. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so is, is it going to be influenced by TGIF? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I spent, I've logged many hours watching those old TGIF shows. As far as, you know, writing horror comedy, how do you feel you balance the two while you're writing? Is it mostly, do you feel like it's mostly comedy or there's more of a horror element or is it 50-50? Uh, I would have to say none of the above. I like, I don't think about it really. I mean, I'll know before I start writing a book, if it's going to be a serious horror story or if it's going to be a comedy horror story. Mm. Um, but I don't think about it any further than that until I'm done with it. Like, you know, big Boobenstein is, you know, that's more comedy than horror. But then like, uh, other books like the Halloween Orgy Massacre or, uh, the Splatterhouse Rules, uh, I think the horror, so it's, you know, it came out to be more like a, of a 70-30 split. So I don't have a particular, like, ratio in mind. In fact, I try not to think about anything other than just writing the story when I'm when I'm doing it. You know, then I'm done, I look back and I'll say, okay, so that one's more horror than comedy. And uh, that's usually how I'll decide what the cover should look like. Um, I hire the same guy to do pretty much all my covers and he can, he nails it every time. And I'll just say, this one needs a more comic-y, funny-looking cover, like with the big Boobenstein books. Or I'll say, this one is more trauma-inspired, so give me something splattery and disgusting. And um, Yeah, I just try not to think. I think thinking too much when you're writing is, is going to slow you down more than anything else. As far as promotion, do you approach that differently when you're promoting a more 
straightforward horror uh, story versus the comedy blend up? Um, I got to be honest with you. I am. I don't do much at all for promotion. I'm really lazy. <laughs> I, just, I just post shit on Facebook and hope that people will see us. Mm. I don't have any like spe- specific outlets I go to. I don't belong to any author community pages, any pimp your book pages. Any. I just sort of accept any friend request I get, and I just post shit on my own wall. That, that's pretty much all I do. You actually have a big Bubenstein um, ventriloquist puppet. Yes, I as, do as well. So that's that's if unique. That's a you don't mind cool. me uh, plugging the guy who made it. If, no, not at all. It's uh, a guy by the name of Seth Chappelle. Uh, he runs a company called Foam Foolery. He just does amazing shit. He's made a, a Lemmy Kilmeister puppet, nice, um, a Getty Lee puppet, uh, and these just they all look amazing. And uh, yeah, so the company it's uh, foamfoolery.net. I really I can't thank that guy enough. He did a wonderful job on her. Just those things like that. You, I mean, you produced videos of you and uh, uh, <laughs> with the puppet. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Having conversations and whatnot. I mean, that's a, that's a unique book promotion. I mean, automatically people are going to associate that with your writing, and that's not obnoxious. It's entertaining. It's hilarious, and that's what I consider unique and authentic author promotion. You don't need to talk about your book. I mean, even though it's somebody from the book, it's so that's that's cool. Is there any, is there anything that you'd like to try that you haven't tried yet? You haven't got a chance to to do it yet that you've been brewing on. I mean, it's succeeding, making money. Uh, but aside from you know those things that may or may not ever happen, uh, I, I've never done a collaboration. That's something I'd like to try. I would just have to find the right you know author to do it with. I'd also like to maybe find an artist to maybe do like a big Bubenstein graphic novel. But aside from that, I just you know I just I'm just having fun. I just I write the books. I try to sell the books, and I'll keep doing that for as long as I can. If something else comes along, something new or exciting I haven't done yet, I'll give it a shot. But I can only say that I'd like to maybe break into you know writing a couple graphic novels. But that's about it. You consider yourself a cult fiction author so you're not bizarro necessarily you're not whore but but cult fiction what made you use that moniker to describe your your writing a few things i mean one thing i just think it sounds cool it does sound cool and i can't really say i write any you know i can't say i'm a horror author because i you know i have some sword and sorcery uh i have some straight up comedy i have some sort of comedy bordering on sci-fi so um i mean a lot of my influence comes from cult movies so you know cult seemed to be the best one word i could use to market myself would you would you say cult movies influenced most of your books as far as developing them oh absolutely what are some of the uh big big cult movies that really got you into uh, the genre well, I think the one that probably stand that everyone would say is an obvious thing is Frankenhooker. Ah, um, I mean, oh God, it's I could name a million of them. <laughs> you know, all the '80s, you know, B movies, any of the like Fred Decker movies, you know, like Night of the Creeps, or e- even some of the old Trauma stuff, Toxic Avenger. I mean, that just. I mean, actually, probably the. My, one of my favorites of all time, Plan 9 from Outer Space. You know, I always knew, I always wanted to be a writer, but even before I had become one, I always knew that I wanted my stuff to not be serious. I wanted it to be more like, you know, a B-movie in book form. The first one I wrote, uh, Halloween Orgy Massacre, uh, that's all I had in mind. I said, I'm, I'm picturing this like I'm watching 
a really cheap, low budget '80s movie, and uh, I'm just fi- I'm directing that movie in my head, and I'm just putting it into book form, and that's that's what I seem to have the most fun doing. And the majority of your stuff has been independently published. Is that you publishing it, or th- through a smaller press, or? Nope, it's all me. Riot Forge. Does it still say that? Uh, on the PDF you gave me. It's oh a- boy, that's old. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> I was working with Riot Forge, who I'd I'd also love to talk about. Okay. Um, I stepped down from my position with them when I got uh, hired by Don Noble and uh, Nick Day at uh, New Kink. Uh, but Riot Forge is it's uh, a collective of self-published authors and artists and kind of generally people in all sort of creative mediums. And uh, it's just this little community where we all sort of help each other and we, you know, we'll trade editing for a book cover or what have you. It's something I'd like to see more of in the community because when you got a little community of just people helping each other, you know, shit doesn't go wrong. You know, people are a lot less likely to get screwed over and there's a, a lot lower potential for, you know, general mayhem. And fuckery. Um, uh, fuckery, yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I love them, and I still help them out any chance I get, but um, I kind of moved on when I was offered some actual paying work. Ah. So uh, I took on the you know the job with New Kink, um, which is a phenomenal press. I mean, uh, editing these books is great inspiration. I mean, I'm reading books, you know, a porn adaptations of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's just it's hilarious. Totally off the wall. Anything goes. Do you find reading any of that stuff for new kink books uh, might uh, influence you in, in what uh, you're writing as well? Uh, it definitely gets the my, my gears turning. But uh, when, it, when it comes to erotica, I just don't see myself breaking into that. Okay. But you never know. I mean, <laughs> if a story comes into my head, I have to write it. And it, you know, it doesn't really matter what genre it falls into. I think as a fan of horror growing up, uh, one thing that that I watched a lot was uh, Tales from the Crypt. Oh, yeah. It kind of has that comedy element to it. Mm -hmm. That was kind of my gateway introduction to to horror for me. Um, Could you talk about maybe your... what you think people are getting introduced to as far as horror nowadays? I I think a lot of more younger people aren't getting introduced the same way maybe... I'm assuming we're around the same age since you watch Full House. Uh, <laughs> yep, yeah, I'm 34. What do you think is the the best gateway to get people into horror books or horror movies or the cult genre? I'm, I mean, I'm so out of touch. You know, I don't have kids. I have no idea what kids are doing now or how they're getting into things. Except, for, I mean, I walk into Hot Topic. I mean, that's <laughs> best I can tell. I just, I encourage, I would encourage kids to just walk into a used bookstore. Go to the horror section and just find something that you think looks cool. Just, you know, judge a book by its cover. Find a book with a title and a cover that you think are cool. You know, spend the two bucks and buy the thing and, you know, read it. I think that would definitely be the best way for kids to get into it because, I mean, you go into Barnes & Noble, there's no freaking horror section. You're not going to find much on the shelves beyond Stephen King. You know, ever since Leisure Fiction went under, you know, mainstream bookstores don't seem to have horror anymore. For me, it all started being in the video store and running off mm. to the uh, se- the horror section and just looking at the covers <laughs> of the movies and being yeah. fascinated. 
Um, I remember one of the clearest images I have was looking at the back of one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies where Freddy is like a big fucking worm thing. He's eating this girl. And I still I still remember that to this day. The, it's so funny that you say that image. because that that's one of mine. Um, I can think of those days where I was, you know, looking at the VHS tapes mm-hmm. and uh, turning them around and looking at the back. And that's one of the... Uh, one of the images that always stood with me. Another one was the cover of Serpent in the Rainbow. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it's like Bill Pullman, I think, where he's like coming out of the coffin. Oh, yeah, and he's got the, the cross on his head and everything. I loved it, yeah. Um, I don't know. Kids don't have that shit anymore, but they have the internet, so. The horror section on Netflix isn't really bringing the goods, that's for sure. No, God, it's terrible. I want there to be more stuff like Chopping Mall or something. Yeah. Like, I remember that cover. <laughs> It was like there was an eyeball sticking out the bottom yep. of a of a <laughs> paper bag or like something like popcorn where there was like a woman pulling her face off or something. Yeah. It's like just yeah, crazy yeah. shit okay. like that. Yeah. Remember the the stuff was a good one. And, yeah. Uh, Silent <laughs> Night, Deadly Night. Yeah. Uh, Santa Claus with the axe. That was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. And what got you into writing uh, in general, Jeff? What what gave you the mad idea to take that on as something that you want to do as a creative endeavor? I think I just it was kind of a natural instinct. Um, I come from a family of uh, English teachers. Uh, my mom's an English teacher. My brother's an English teacher. And I was a general fuck off who didn't graduate college. So I guess writing books uh, just seemed to be the, the natural thing to do. I, I can think that I always wanted to for as long as I can remember since I was a little kid. Mm. I remember my grandmother, the same one who said that my writing sort of reminded her of J.K. Rowling, <laughs> but not really. Uh, she had lots of movies that she recorded off television and uh, specifically like the old, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman. And uh, I would just watch those over and over and over again as a kid. And I, I remember in first grade, we had a little tiny little like five page coloring drawing book, whatever. And the teacher wanted us to draw and write a story, you know, like write a story with illustrations. And my story was that I turned into a werewolf and killed everyone in the class. <laughs> And luckily, you know, in 1987, mm, nobody, that's okay then. nobody really batted an eye. But <laughs> no. if, God forbid if a kid, kid did that today, he'd be <laughs> handed a wide, wide barrage of medications. <laughs> I just always had the natural instinct for it, I guess. It's something I always wanted to do. Was there ever any horror movie that you watched as a as a kid or even recently that really made you freak out or shit your pants or just like... Oh my God, this is fucking horrific. Like, I can't think of too many. And I think most horror fans don't really have anything that really scares them anymore. I don't know if it's just because desynthesized the scene, everything, but is there anything you can think of that really, that really scared you at all? Uh, when I was a kid, I remember one thing that scared the shit out of me. And maybe the only thing was the Friday the 13th the Nintendo game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the movie. That's a freaky one. The movies didn't scare me, but playing that game, waiting for that moment where Jason's going to jump out at you, mm. that, that gave me nightmares. I have to say, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but one movie that gave me the creeps really bad, and this is recently within the last few years, is um, Signs. Oh, really? I mean, what a fucking horrible movie that was. I, can't, I, I mean, I didn't even watch that movie until like four or five years ago. And boy, did it suck. But 
there was just a couple parts that those you know whatever they were the scene where the one was hiding in the cupboard and the hand came out oh my god that actually scared the shit out of me <laughs> you know you know Shyamalan's rec- most recent thing um the visit that's a fucking creepy ass movie. i loved it i absolutely loved that movie yeah that's one of the few movies i've seen recently that i was like okay that's creepy <laughs> like yeah, it really was horrifying <laughs> yeah he can really make a good movie when he kind of puts his mind to it i guess you actually have a musical background as well you used to be in uh play, play the punk rock the punk rock that the kids used to play uh, punk rock. yeah well high school high school was punk rock but then senior year and after, I kind of made the, like many punks did, I made the transition into hardcore. Um, and that was like 99, early 2000s. And then uh, then I sold out completely and I ended up playing in a couple of sort of like pop bands just because I, you know, nobody was playing hardcore anymore. Hardcore was kind of dead and I, I wanted to keep playing the drums. So I, I ended up playing in some kind of really embarrassing pop bands uh but then i just got uh, i got to the point where i was tired of sleeping in vans and uh, i was getting old and tired so i just kind of hung it up would you say you've uh, imparted any of that experience from your musical background into your writing i would say 100 percent. from the minute i decided i wanted to be a writer like not just write stories on my computer but actually try to publish them uh i never considered shopping publishers i uh, I had a couple of friends who had done the self-publishing thing, and they were like, "Jeff, it's so easy. Like, you gotta just check it out." So, I checked out Create Space, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is easy!" And I, you know, I thought back to the days of hardcore bands where we we funded our own recording, we did it, we pressed it, we packed up the van, we hit the road. It, that was just the most logical thing to do. Why, you know, what band sits there and, and waits for a record company to hear their demo? That's like that's nonsense. I said, I'm just like when I was, you know, playing music, I'm just going to write this book. I'm going to pay to have it edited. I'm going to pay for a cover. And I'm just going to get this shit out there. I haven't looked back. And this is not meant to be hostile or malicious towards publishers, but I want nothing to do with that. I want to have full responsibility for my success and my failure. Interesting. That's a perspective we haven't really had on the show before. Mm. It's kind of that rebellious rock and roll spirit. Yeah. And, and is there a stigma? against uh you know self-publishing absolutely and that only makes me want to do it more every great thing has had a stigma attached to it when it first happened you know you know look at punk rock uh look at heavy metal Mm -hmm. you know great if there's a stigma then i'm in good company i say fuck those people i'm doing what i'm doing and i'm having a blast and if people think i'm an amateur well hey (laughs) doesn't change the fact that i'm doing what i love maybe if it was called punk rock publishing that would be that would oh, be cooler. Yeah, I mean, they'd have they have <laughs> they'd have tutorials in uh, every hot topic in every mall. <laughs> Avril Lavigne would be teaching them. Oh, so if even a publisher came along and said, "Jeff O'Brien, we've got this contract here for you. Sign right here, and we'll publish your books all across the country." Well, that's. Uh, I mean, money could certainly change my mind. <laughs> okay. Yes, if uh, a publisher came to me and said, "Here's here's a big pile of money. Write a book about this and that." I'd say, okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still working 40 hours or more a week to, you know, keep a roof over my head. So, uh, yeah, I'll take that money. I'll write something for you. And if it's a failure, you know, whatever. I got the rest of my life to keep writing the things I love. 
do you see any any authors making mistakes in self-publishing right now? Or there what what are the things that kind of irk you about the indie publishing scene right now that you wish would change? As far as self-publishing goes, I just see too many guys and girls making the mistake of not hiring an editor. And as much as I hate the fact that a cover has so much to do with a book, I mean, you know, they say the you know the the, the saying is you can't judge a book by its cover. Let me tell you. People do, and your cover has a lot to do with whether or not that person is going to throw down some money to buy your book. It makes a huge difference. Uh, the idea of self-publishing is to do everything that a publisher would do for you. And if you're going to self-publish, you don't want to cut corners and you know cheap out on those things. You want you got to do them yourself. You got to pay the money and put out a pro-looking product. A lot of people are going to turn their noses up. If they see a generic cover template that you get for free on CreateSpace. I mean, I've done it in my early days and I thought, whatever, it's just a fucking cover. It has nothing to do with how good the book is. But then when I made the decision to hire an artist and redo all my covers, my sales almost tripled. Wow. Yeah. So I see people cheaping out and cutting corners. You know, if, if you don't want to spend the money and finance your own book, then you should be shopping it to a publisher. That's kind of why there is this stigma around self-publishing is because, yeah, 90% of self-published books are, you know, complete train wrecks. Um, so you got to not do that. Uh, and you got to be the publisher. Do, do all the things that publisher would do if you're going to publish your own book. I have noticed uh, you mentioned community is a big, a big thing, um, especially for for indie writers, mm -hmm. how much bleed over do you think that has into to other readers? Uh, I know a lot of writers support each other and they buy each other's books. And then, but how how do you think that community connects to people who who aren't writing, who are just regular readers that don't write anything? Uh, there aren't many, and uh, I mean this is kind of like a an ugly truth that everybody wants to pretend isn't true that. Most of the readership of indie writers are other indie writers. Mm. Um, there's a very small percentage of that whole community that's people who are just readers. They are there, but, I mean, it's a very small percentage. And I talk about what irks me is writers who try to present themselves like they're a New York Times bestseller. I mean, if you look at the, you know, scroll down the reviews of their book on Amazon, it's all from other writers, and I mean, that's mm -hmm. most of mine, too. But um, the indie community is is probably about 85% writers mm. and 15% readers. And that's because, I mean, and myself included, but I just post shit on Facebook because it's a free advertising platform. And it's done wonders for me and many, many others. But there's only a few writers who have gone beyond that and uh, promoted beyond on Facebook and gained a readership outside of that community. I would say it's a good goal to shoot for outside that community. And oh, absolutely. Acquiring readers who just read it and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, uh, conventions, horror conventions, comic book conventions. I mean, they cost money for sure, but the payoff, I mean, I've done a couple, and I mean, you know, the payoff has been fantastic. Do you buy like a table at conventions and just set your stuff up? Yep, okay. I did a couple last year. Don't have any lined up this year, uh, but yeah, no. That's uh, if you're a writer and you got your books and you can drop 150 bucks to get a table at a con, you got to do it. 
Any tips for maybe somebody who might be new at setting up a table? Maybe some tips for success at maybe selling books or connecting with readers? Go on Vistaprint and have one of your book covers or something made into a banner. The first convention I did, I had a big Boobenstein banner. And uh, I mean, that pretty much turned the head of everybody who walked by. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I granted a lot of them were like, the fuck is this? (laughs) This big Boobenstein. (laughs) Um, I, I mean, I was scoffed at by a lot of people, and I, I actually, I honestly loved every second of it. Sure. Um, but there were, you know, a few people who were like-minded and sort of into that nuttier side of horror, and they stopped, and I uh, sold some books. And I had also, I had some, you know, free tchotchkes or whatever. I, I just had postcards made of uh, the big Bubenstein cover. I just. Gave them out to anyone who wanted them. Uh, yeah, you want to. I mean, you want to bring more to the table than just your own books, and you want to certainly bring a personality. I mean, I'm a bit of an introvert, but I did my best to put on a smile and not get nervous talking to people because, I mean, they're seeing you. They're talking to the author, and if the author is a dick, they're not going to buy your book. Right. Did you have your puppet with you? No, unfortunately, I didn't have <laughs> the puppet until about two months ago. Um, that would have sold a shitload, probably. Yeah. <laughs> a shitload of people would have really turned their heads. Uh, I mean, that thing took like six, seven months to make. Well, we are just about out of time, and we could keep talking for, for ages uh, with you, Jeff. I wanted to make sure we give a shout-out to your cover artist, because, yes, your covers are spot on. What is his name? There's two. Two, okay. One uh, is Kendall R. Hart, which is a horrible name for someone with a Boston accent to say. <laughs> Uh, so I'll say that again. Kendall R. Hart. Rolls and uh, the other is Justin T. Coons. Uh, he did the uh, first Big Boobenstein cover. He did the Daughters of Big Boobenstein cover. And uh, Kendall R. Hart did all the others. So we're going to do a quick Halloween lightning round here. Um, okay. Basically, what we do is we're going to ask – I'm going to ask you five, six, seven questions. Phil, if you got a quick one or – whatever that you want to bring up so um basically whatever that comes to the top of your mind you can just answer it's going to be horror related writing related sort of a thing but uh this will be our first official october halloween lightning round so we'll throw in some lightning sound effects right here right there to introduce this fun little segment but we'll try this with you and and see how it goes so it's a halloween lightning round with cult fiction author jeff o'brien so the first question for you is best horror movie ever halloween Halloween. 1970, whatever year it was. Best horror villain. Uh, uh, I got to go with Michael. Michael Myers. Michael Myers. Interesting choice. Interesting. Uh, Best thing about Boston. Best thing about Boston? The Celtics. Okay. Okay. Everything Uh, else sucks. (laughs) That's why I left there. (laughs) Fuck that place. (laughs) Apologies to Boston. Sorry, Boston. <laughs> Just Boston got straight up roasted. <laughs> Sorry, thing. guys, but uh, you, you drive like shit. You're overpopulated. Uh, you smell. And uh, rent's too high. Ah, it's like Portland. Uh, Apologies to Portland. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Portland, so I can, I can say that. Fuck uh, them, too. <laughs> Any other cities we want to denounce while we're at it? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> All the cities. <laughs> Every city. All right, next question in the uh, Halloween lightning round. Favorite Halloween candy? Uh, the first three pieces of candy corn I eat. Oh, okay. <laughs> because those are really good, but then after that, it just, it, I don't know, it just starts tasting like shit and I get a stomachache. <laughs> but you eat 70 more. Yeah, <laughs> which I always do because I'm a ass, stupid asshole. 
I got one. Uh, favorite remake. <laughs> you know what? I fucking love. I am. I am pro remake. Uh, you Thank probably you. don't hear that often, and I have a very unpopular taste in movies. Um, I mean, it's too obvious to say the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's so my favorite remake. I'm gonna really. I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna say Night of the Demons. Hmm. Interesting. Lots of titties in that one. <laughs> Uh, you you moonlight currently as a butcher there in Dover, New Hampshire. Best cut of meat. Best cut of meat. Oh boy, uh, I'd have to say hanger steak. Hanger. Yeah. What's so great best, about a hanger? Best cut for your dollar, right there. Hanger. <laughs> what is a hanger steak? I don't know. What uh, that the is. hang. I love that question. It's my favorite <laughs> question to answer as a butcher. Uh, the hanger okay. steak is the urethra muscle. <laughs> ah. Yes. In fact, and when I cut it, um. I actually part of the urethra is still in there, and I always like to stick my finger through it and spin, <laughs> the, spin it around on my finger. Oh mm. my god! These are things. Hey, these are things you do to keep yourself sane. <laughs> hey, I mean, how bad can my day be if I have fingered several cow urethras? Oh, <laughs> uh, like I said, inappropriate levels <laughs> would be reached Damn today, thanks. listeners. We did not disappoint. <laughs> All right, last question in the Halloween lightning round. You are a cigar aficionado, so what's the the best cigar available out there that you better you had? Uh, well, I'm on. I'm honestly more of a pipe smoker. Oh, okay. Um, but if I'm gonna smoke a cigar, I'm gonna go for uh, anything. I don't know. I like a Nicaraguan with a Maduro wrapper. Hmm. Uh, I would say uh, if you can find the Nica Rustica, that's a damn good cigar. I had a Cuban cigar for the first time in Japan. How was it? Yeah, it was good. I was uh, I was happy to smoke a illegal. <laughs> it's illegal. <laughs> something something that used to be illegal in America. I don't know if it's illegal anymore. Uh, you can bring them to the country, but we, you still can't sell them in retail. Ah, okay. Excellent. Well, thanks for participating in that uh, Halloween lightning round, Jeff O'Brien. Man, it's been great to have you on the show talk about your writing and your publishing and your past experiences, your puppets, and and all the cool things that you have going on over there. So, Jeff O'Brien, what's your uh, social media contact info if po- folks want to track you down online? Uh, if you want to come to my uh, useless uh, Facebook author page, <laughs> that's facebook.com slash author Jeff O'Brien. Uh, if you want to look me up on Blogspot, because I am so fucking antiquated with <laughs> stuff... <laughs> Uh, cult pulp trash comedy is my blog that I seldom use. Uh, you know, just fuck it. Just add me on Facebook. Just Facebook. <laughs> I don't have nearly 5,000 friends, so I, I can accept any request I get. Gotcha. And that's Jeff O'Brien, B-R-I-E-N. So folks can find you online. Yes. You've got a handsome set of, uh, mutton chops. Thank you. Um, there, if folks are trying to find the right Jeff O'Brien, cause there's probably about 400, yeah, and there there are some other authors named Jeff O'Brien too. Oh, but you're the best. I love when I get a message on Goodreads and it says, "Hey, I really liked uh, Seasons in Upper Turkey Foot, <laughs> a Countryman's Journal." And I'm like, "Yes, thank you." Thank you. <laughs> I spent a long time on that one. <laughs> it's my finest work. Actually. Yeah. Check out my other books. <laughs> And and I, guess I, I guess I just gave a plug to that other Jeff O'Brien who yeah. wrote about Turkey Foot. <laughs> Fucking welcome, Jeff O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> other Jeff O'Brien. Invoices in the mail, bro. Yep. Uh, and what are you doing this Halloween? This is the October episode. So any Halloween plans this Hallow's Eve? <sighs> well, I usually, if I can get the day off, I just kind of chill with the wife and we could watch horror movies. 
But in this town I live in, I, which is when I moved here, I had no idea. They don't do fucking Halloween on Halloween. They Who have doesn't this do thing, Halloween? Right. They have this thing called Beggar's Night. And it's like a couple days before where the kids go trick-or-treating and they can't even trick-or-treat after sundown mm. so i'm really i don't know it's that's it's depressing. bullshit yeah it's, it's really stupid um i'm gonna have to write the mayor about yeah. this that's dover <laughs> dover new hampshire everyone write the, the mayor of dover yeah. new hampshire a letter this is a travesty. stealing the childhood of these poor children so i don't know maybe on halloween i'll go out and egg the mayor's house or something <laughs> Uh, but mostly, if if I get the day off, I'll just be chilling with the dogs and the wife, watching scary movies, eating cotton candy, getting sick to my stomach. Not cotton candy. What the candy corn? Candy corn. Whatever. They both make me sick to my stomach. So, I'll be I'll be home with a stomachache. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and what's the next title you've got dropping, Jeff? I don't know. My most recent one is Very True Stories, starring Jeff O'Brien. But I don't know what's coming next. I have another Byron the Barbarian book in the works. Uh, I have the House of Big Boobenstein, uh, installment number four in the works. I have a book called Cryptidiots, which is about uh, a comedy about a couple of cryptid hunters looking for Bigfoot. Uh, I've got Heart-Shaved Box uh, that's almost done. Hopefully that'll be the next release. Ah, boy, I got so much shit I got to finish. Hopefully (laughs) any one of those things will be out by the end of the year. Awesome. And again, folks can head over to Amazon and they can uh, check out pretty much all your titles to read for free on Kindle Unlimited or they're pretty uh, economically priced if folks wanted to pick up a copy. Find Jeff on Facebook and add him and harass him. Yes, please do. It's been great having you on on the show, Jeff. Uh, Again, happy Halloween and best of luck for you and all of your uh, future writerly endeavors. And thanks again so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you, gentlemen. And we're on Facebook.com slash The Grim Tidings Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. Uh, We've got that new domain coming. TheGrimTidingsPodcast.com is in the works. We're still working on the, the finer details of that, but that's coming up. Um, and then for October, at the end of the month, October 31st, Halloween, we will have Paul Tremblay joining us on the show as well. So plenty of cool things coming up. Stay tuned. Philip, thanks again for uh, hanging out on the show today. Yeah, I'm going to go get some hanger steak. <laughs> finger the- or hanger, hanger meat, whatever it is. Get a fine marinade or something like that. No yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time. So long. So long.